Good morning. I'm a bit under the weather, so you'll have to pardon if I cough from time to time. And I ask the Lord's grace upon this meeting this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Last week we covered the two first, the, the, the two miracles at the beginning of this chapter with the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude, and Jesus walking on the sea. Uh, there to verse 21. With the Lord's help this morning, we're going to be considering the rest of this chapter, which is first from verse 22 all the way to the end of the chapter at verse 70. So we have quite a lot to cover, but the Lord will help. And uh, we're not going to hit everything in detail. We'll leave that to the small groups tonight for you guys to delve in deeper into some of these amazing verses with uh, deep meaning. So, Let's go ahead and start by reading the entirety of of the section from verse 22 to 70. John chapter 6, verse uh, verse 22, it says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that the one which his disciples entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone gone, gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place to where they ate the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boat and and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Verse 26 is Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, Or verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures forever, uh, for everlasting, uh, everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do? that we may, work, we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give Give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I, uh, but I, I have said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the ones who come to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That all I'm sorry, that, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last days. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, uh, and believes in him who sent me, and that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last days. The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Then they said, Is this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last days. As it is written in the prophets, they all shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that one, not that anyone has seen the Father except he 
who is from the Father, from, uh, from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up in the last days. For the for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. And he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. This thing, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. It is spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit. And they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless the father, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, answered them, did I, not, did I not choose you twelve? And one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. It's quite a lot to read this morning, but his word will not return void. That we're promised for. So let me just back up and give you a little bit of the context, just in case you weren't here last week. Previous to this discourse, and, and, and just to give you an outline here, you're going to have uh, from verses 22... Um, 22 to about 34, you're going to have the reaction to the miracle. Speaking of the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. You're going to have this discourse between Christ and the multitude that came and found him. And the reaction that they had concerning the, the, the sign or the miracle of the feeding of the, of the multitude. And then we have from verses 35 all the way to uh, verse 59, we have the Lord expounding on his claims. He makes claims to the, to the multitude concerning himself and he expounds on them. And in that we see that the multitude has objections and they have three objections and we're going to look at that closely. So that's your outline. Now, let's look a little bit of the context. Previous to this, we read, we read the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We read that the multitude 
follow Jesus. Jesus was, was seeking solitude with his disciples. And so they said, let's get on a boat. Let's, let's cross the, the Sea of Galilee. And let's find a deserted place. And let us just have a time of rest. And it says that the multitude saw them and followed them on, by land. And so we read that as a multitude approached them and saw them coming, the Lord looked upon the multitude and had compassion. Excuse me. And one of the one of the main themes, one of the main themes in this section, in this discourse, in this discussion between Jesus and the crowd, is this idea of coming. The word come shows up more in this chapter than in any other chapter in the Gospel of John. And, and Jesus is going to deal primarily with the issue of how to come to him. For we see the multitude coming. At the very beginning, they were coming. Now, I, I do want to pause for a minute here. And I do want to contrast a little bit between chapter 6 and chapter 5. I think it, it'll help us understand the context and a little bit about the crowd. First of all, we read that in John chapter 5, as our brother Mike went through it, when Jesus performed the miracle there at the pool with a man who had that infirmity for 38 years, after he had performed this miracle, he withdrew himself from the crowd. And we see a similarity in this, in this chapter, don't we? We see that in John chapter 6, after he, he performed this miracle of feeding the multitude, what did he do? Well, he kind of recused himself and went up to the mountain to pray by himself. Now, why am I highlighting this? Well, unlike the crowd in John chapter 5, when the crowd found out who Jesus was, did they care for him? No, it's quite the opposite. They said, you're against the law, they would say. You, you perform work on the Sabbath day. You defile that which is holy. And when Jesus said, my father works, therefore I work, the crowd in John chapter 5 was enraged that he would place himself as equal with God the Father. Now, that's not the crowd we have here, is it? It's a completely different crowd. Now, mindful, John chapter 5 takes place in Jerusalem, in Judea, where where. The, the religious center of, of Israel was that day. But here we're in the north, in Galilee. Maybe we could say these are less learned people. But when Jesus came to them, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of heaven. My Father is the one who sent me. Did they catch it? I don't know. But I tell you this, they didn't react the same way, did they? In fact, in contrast to John chapter 5, they weren't rejecting Jesus. They wanted Jesus. If It says that they came, they were seeking him. They saw him perform miracles on all who were diseased, and they sought him. They sought to hear him. And yet Jesus, we read, does not commit himself to them. Now, that's important. That's important in our context. Why, why would Jesus, when the multitudes come to him, why would he not commit himself to them? Now, yes, he had compassion on them. Yes, he fed them. But he didn't commit himself to them. Why? And when the crowd saw the miracle that he performed with the five little barley loaves and the two fish, and they were, they, they all ate until they were filled, they said, this is the prophet that was spoken to us in the book of Exodus. This is the prophet that is greater than Moses. Let's make him king, they said. Now, I, I, I pose these things to you because I want you to think about this. The context is, here you have a multitude coming to Jesus, wanting to make him king. And I say to you, why wouldn't Jesus accept the multitude? Why wouldn't he accept the multitude? Are we not called to come to Jesus? Are we not called to make him king? Is that not the call of the gospel? Well, we're going to take a closer look 
as why the Lord would recuse himself from the crowd. Now, as you recall, he would leave the crowd, leave the multitude and go up to the mountaintop and to pray. And when the multitude stayed and they, 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 they laid rest there that night, he snuck down the mountain and he crossed the sea as he was walking on the water. And the multitude woke up and they're looking around and saying, well, we knew that Jesus and his disciples came on that one boat. We read that on the account that they came by land, but they came on a boat. They saw his disciples getting into the boat and going across on the boat. But Jesus wasn't with them. And in the morning they looked. We were going to make him king. Where is he? Can't find him. So they sought for him. They sought for him. They eventually got into other boats that came. They went across the sea and landed there in Capernaum. And they found Jesus in the synagogue teaching. And they asked them a question. When did you get here, Rabbi? When did you get here? A very pointed question. We were there with you. We didn't see you leave. How did you get here? Now, Jesus doesn't even answer the question, does he? He completely sidelines the question. And I ask you why. Why would Jesus not answer the question? If Jesus said to them, hey, listen, I got here this last night. I, I came down the mountain while you guys were sleeping. I walked upon a stormy sea. Walked up to the boat where my disciples were, were feverishly rowing. And got into the boat with them. And the boat went from the middle of the lake to where we are today. Could that miracle have changed their hearts and minds? I'd venture to say no, it wouldn't. For the issue with this multitude, with this group of people, is how they come to Christ. How they come to God. Jesus does not commit himself because they're coming on their own terms. Let me explain this. Let me explain it to you. Jesus says to them, reads their heart, and says, You seek me, not because you saw the sign, be because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, hold on a second. Did they not witness the miracle? Yes, they witnessed the miracle. They witnessed the miracle and they said, we need to make this man king. Now, they may have witnessed the miracle, but they, did they understand the sign? The answer is no. The miracle was pointing to something. The miracle was not just a, a scandalous event, a, a, a magical evening. It was not something for them to talk about. It was meant for something. It was meant to point to something. Just like a street sign has a purpose. I, I have water, thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, 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 it's only going to get worse, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry. It's only going to get worse. But we'll get through by God's grace. And so they were seeking him because he fed them. Now, I, I, I want to stop and I want to I I unpack these verses here. And I want us to, to, to meditate on because the reality is that this multitude is very common in this world today. It's very common in this very room. They were religious people. They were Jews. They weren't polytheistic uh, 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 Cretans or, or Greeks. They were Jews. They believed in Jehovah. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, when they saw the sign, and they could point to the fact that this is maybe the prophet of old that Moses talked about, they still were not thinking Spiritually, but we're thinking physically. So the Lord says to him, you come seeking me because 
you are filled. And the Lord says, do not labor for food which perishes. Now listen, I want to, I, I want to, I, I want you to think about this. If you would invite me to dinner, me and my family, and you would prepare one of my favorite meals, which would, would be baby back ribs, and, and, and you would give me one full rack for myself with a big old baked potato with, with sour cream. Yeah. And so I show up. I said, where's the food? Where's the food? Oh, it's, it's over here. Let's sit down. And I start just chowing down. And, and as I'm eating, you as the hostess decides to pick up some conversation. And I say, no, 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 I'm eating. And I keep eating. And I devour an entire rack of ribs. Clean off that humongous baked potato. And then I say, what's for dessert? And you say, well, we have some peach cobbler. Bring it on. With some ice cream. Even better, bring it on. And I begin to eat the peach cobbler with ice cream. And I finish. I stand up from the table and say, good seeing you. And I walk away. Now, I, I ask you, what is wrong with that scene? Did I miss the purpose of the meal? Fellowship. The purpose of the meal was the fellowship. It wasn't about filling my belly. It wasn't about getting what I want. It's about the hand behind the meal, isn't it? And this multitude, having been fed, having been given as much as they wanted the night before, of bread and of fish. The bread was, was, was not stale. It was, it was fresh. It was delicious. The fish was moist. And they wanted more. I, I, I tell you, one of the biggest issues or the biggest flaws in, in the American culture today is not recognizing the hand behind the provision. The hand behind the provision. Do you see the issue? Why would the Lord not commit himself to this multitude even though they seek him, they, they sought him out, they came to him? They weren't looking to have a relationship with God. They didn't sit there and say, well, Rabbi, last night after we had that wonderful meal, I was thinking, How did you do that? How could you multiply that much bread and that much fish? Rabbi, who are you? Oh, that's a completely different story, isn't it? If they would approach him on the basis of who Jesus was and what he was there to do for them, I I venture to say this whole discord would be completely different. But here... You have their hearts, don't you? You see, these these people were religious, like I said before. They knew, they thought within themselves, we know what's going to happen. We know what the Messiah is supposed to look like. We know what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to come, and he's supposed to kick Rome out. He's supposed to restore the land to us. We're supposed to have peace. And Jesus is saying, I've come here, and I've come to give myself. And what I give is my flesh. And they say, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Now, we do have to ask the question. If Jesus could multiply bread and multiply fish and feed the hungry, Why didn't he do it again? Yes, their hearts were in the right place. We've talked about that. But is not one of the calls to the church to think of the poor, to feed the hungry, to clothe those who have less than we do? Why would the Lord reject to perform a miracle, a blessing to them? 
And I pose to you that beyond the physical need that they had, Jesus was far more concerned about their spiritual need. Their spiritual need was what was at front. Yes, he had compassion. Yes, he gave them food to eat. But that wasn't the end of it. Okay, so, so let's say Jesus said, you know what? It, it costs me nothing to, to make bread and to make fish. I'm just going to continue to feed you guys. All right. So from birth to death, whether you, whether you live 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, God gives you barley loaves and fish. And, and, and you're never hungry. And, and you can eat and be sustained. And life is sustained because of it. But when you pass from this earth to the next, what then? What's more important? If you pass from this earth to next, and all God gave you, and all you cared about was physical food, I will tell you, that in eternity, it will be an eternal famine for you. Food is not what they should labor for. Now, this phrase, do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Number one, the Lord is not saying that you shouldn't work for food. In fact, Scripture is very clear on these things. He who does not work does not eat. What it's saying, and I want you to follow me, what it's saying is the point of life, the reason for living is not material, physical bread. The point of life is to seek that which is eternal. That which is eternal. That which is eternal food. The multitude, still thinking about the meal, says to them, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Here the, the Lord's saying, Listen, don't labor for food that perishes, but labor for the food that, that leads to which life, which the Son of Man will give you. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're spiritual people, we're godly people. What are, what is God's works that we may do them? What are their work? What is God's works? Notice that S. Works. And look what the Lord does with their works. He parses it down, doesn't he? He says, listen, you want to do the works of God? This is the works of God. This is the work of God, he says. Singular, that you believe in the one whom he sent. That, that, that is, that is the whole purpose of living. That is what you should strive for. That's what you should labor for. To know Jesus Christ. To know him. The multitude still thinking with their bellies still thinking with their appetite. Didn't hear him. Didn't hear what he said. And says, well, if we're going to believe you, what do you show us? What, 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 what miracle, what sign are you going to show us that we may see and believe, they say. Now, I, I do want to pause here because this is the first instance where comes up. This idea of the fathers in the wilderness and the manna. And, it, 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 and it, this theme is going to come up time and time again in this chapter. And you go, why is it there? Well, I will pose to you that they were thinking, if Moses would feed our fathers in the wilderness for 40 years, and for 40 years they were sustained by bread from heaven. Now imagine if God can do that now. And he could sustain, sustain large groups of people with very little resources. Could we not then 
take over the Roman government? Kick them out? If we're going to build an offense against the Roman guard, we're going to need resources, aren't we? We're going to need the ability to feed our soldiers. And food isn't cheap. It's not easy to come by. And they're thinking what they wanted God to do. They were coming to God on their terms. And so this idea of of their fathers in the wilderness and manna keeps coming up. Now, let me pause to say this. There's two main Old Testament stories that pop up in this chapter. One, we read about the Passover. In the beginning of the chapter, we read that the Passover was near. And so, in that, the people were thinking about the Passover. Now, what was a Passover? The Passover for them was that of taking of a lamb, roasting it on fire, and consuming it and eating the flesh of that lamb. And the purpose of the Passover was to remember that, that, that God redeemed their fathers from Egypt. And, and, and that first generation, they were told that they were to eat of the Passover ready with their belts on, shoes tied, ready to leave. And then we have this about the manna. And I, and I tell you, one of the underlying themes in this chapter, not only is it coming, but is what are the means in which God sustains? This is what they're referring to. How are you going to sustain us? And so the Lord says to them and corrects them. You're asking me for a miracle, he says. The, the, our fathers had man in the wilderness. The Lord says to them, first of all, Moses didn't give your father your, your, your father's manna. It wasn't Moses who, who caused manna to, to, to show up on the ground. It wasn't Moses. It was my father, first of all. Secondly, he says, my father has given you far greater bread. He's given you bread from heaven. Now, I, I, want, I, want to, I, want you, I want to pause and think about that for a second and meditate upon that for a second. Think about the analogy. Think about the metaphor. Here they're saying, listen, Jesus, we want to see and believe. We want you to show us a sign so we could see and believe. Our fathers had manna. And the Lord says, listen, Moses didn't give him manna, but my father gave him manna. And my father is now giving you bread from heaven. And so imagine yourself, you're an Israelite in the wilderness, and there's no food. And the Lord says, I'm going to provide for you bread from heaven. When you wake up in the morning, there's going to be manna on the ground. I want you to go and collect all that you need for that day. Now, did the Israelites wake up that morning, look upon the ground, and see this stuff, and they say, what is it? Did they say to Moses, Moses, what is this stuff? How do we know this is bread from heaven? Listen, this is what we're going to do, Moses. Before I, I pick this up and put it in my mouth, I want you to perform a sign. Seems kind of foolish, doesn't it? Seems kind of ridiculous. But isn't that what they're asking? Listen, Moses would have told them, we're in a desert. There's no food. And I've told you that God is going to provide manna from heaven. You wake up and there's just stuff all over the place. Now, you want to be sustained? You want to be fed? All you have to do is pick up the bread and eat. You want more proof? Pick up the bread and eat. That's all you have to do. Now, 
The crowd is saying, show us a miracle. Jesus is saying, he'll later tell them, your fathers ate of the manna and they died. They perished. In, in fact, they, most of them didn't even make it into the promised land, did they? An entire generation had to pass away because of what? Because of their unbelief. An entire generation died in the desert because they did not believe God. And they were fed every morning from heaven. And you want a sign? You want a sign? What does the Lord say to him? The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You want a sign? I am that sign, he says. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Again, did they get it? No, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They thought they knew, but they didn't get it. And they said to the Lord, give us this bread always. Oh, how pious. Give us this bread always, Lord. The Lord, at this point, cuts to the chase, doesn't he? You want this bread? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Listen, you're seeking for a miracle. You're seeking for sustenance for your own purposes. And you're missing the point. You're missing the hand behind the provision. God has sent his son from heaven to be life to those who believe. Why bread? Why would he use the metaphor of bread? It's simple. Bread, at its basic elements, sustains life. It keeps, it's a means by which you remain alive, isn't it? You can live a long time on bread and water. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Not earthly, not physical bread but heavenly bread. Bread, not for physical life, but for eternal life. Now listen. He says to the crowd, I am the bread of life. You you ask for a sign. You ask for a sign that you may see and believe. And he says to them, in verse 36, but I say to you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. There is no other sign, brothers and sisters. Friend, there is no other sign that God is going to give you but Jesus Christ. There is no other sign. The question is, how are you going to come to him? Are you going to come to him on your terms? Are you going to say, Well, I'll take Jesus, the teacher, the philosopher, the moral, the moral teacher. But all that stuff about him dying on a cross and rising again, that's foolishness. That's nonsense, isn't it? Listen, you don't come to God on your terms. You come to him on his terms. We get to this section concerning the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of different interpretation of these verses, I will say. And let me just say this. I've wrestled with these verses and I will briefly give you what I've come to understand. But I encourage you to Wrestle with these verses yourself. Now, 
in verse 37, we have this uh, underlying or, or this new theme that comes up three different times in this chapter. In verse 37, we have this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, a lot, a lot of different men, a lot of godlier men than I, smarter men than I, would interpret that to say that they couldn't come. They couldn't come, this multitude could not come to Jesus because God the Father didn't give them to them. Because God the Father didn't choose to give them to Jesus. And I will tell you, I think you're reading into the verse something that's not there. Now, I, I'm a simple person. Most of you know me. I, I, I am not an intellectual by any stretch of the imagination. But look what the verse says. It says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Will come to me. And no one, uh, and the ones who come to me, I will by no means cast out. So we have the Father, number one, giving something, giving people to the Son. We have this principle of the Father giving to the Son. Okay? And the second principle we see in this verse is that the, the Son is given charge by the Father to keep those who He gives. You follow? I'm just keeping it simple here. Now look at verse 38, 39, and 40. We get into, I believe, uh, shed some light on, upon who we're talking about. Verse 39 says this. This is the will of the Father. Okay? This is the will of the Father who sent me. That all who he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise them up in the last days. Now, did he say anything different there? Well, no. He, all he did was simply add... This is the will of the Father. That all that, that He gives me, I will lose none and I will raise them up in the last days. Okay? Same principles. Father gives them to the Son. The Son keeps them. The Son will bring them up in the last days. You're with me. Now, look at verse 40. And this is the will of Him who sent me. Now, who's Him? It's the Father. This is the will of the Father. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up in the last days. Now, I ask you, between verse 39 and 40, do we have any new information? Well, yes, we do. It's practically the same verse, right? We we start off with the will of the Father, will of the Father. The will of the Father is that He would lose none in, in verse 39. And and in verse 40, the will of the Father is that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. So, the question is, who does the Father give to the Son? Who does the Father give to the Son? Now, again, with my simple mind and my simple understanding... Verse 40 tells us, who does he send, who does he give to the Son? All or everyone who sees and believes in the Son of God. That's all that is. Now, a lot of other men take, take, say so much more about these things, but to me, what is it saying? It's simply saying this, and and I, I don't want you to miss this. The point of this, remember we were talking about manna? And sustaining. This is what he's saying to them. Listen, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, will never thirst again. I will sustain him. This is the will of the Father who sent me, he says. That those who come to me, I will never lose. Now, the point and the thrust of these verses is not so much on the Father giving the Son, but that the Son will not lose any. That is the point. What he's saying is those who see me and believe in me, those who are true disciples, those who are true believers, God the Father wills that the Lord will lose none. And he 
charges the son. He charges the son to see those souls, to take care of those individuals, and to see them come in the last days. We're completely out of time. And I thank you for your patience. I will, I, I will, I do want to add just for the sake of the small group tonight, there's one more principle that we read concerning the father and the son in this chapter. And we read it in verse 44. In verses 39, or 37, 38, and 39, we see the principle of the father giving to the son and the son losing none. And yet we read in verse 40 that anyone who comes to the, to the son, who sees and believes in the son, the father gives to him. But we see a different principle in verse 44. The multitude say to him, say to Jesus, Jesus, how, how can you say you're the bread from heaven? How can you say you're the bread from heaven when, when we know who you are? Are you not Joseph's son? Now, interestingly enough, they said Joseph's son. I, I, I want to say that's the only instance in the New Testament where you have him referred to as Joseph's son. Now, you and I know that he was not Joseph's son. But he was born to a virgin Mary. And his father is the heavenly father. And they could not believe that Jesus had come down from heaven. And so anyway, the Lord sees in their heart and says, why do you murmur amongst yourselves? And he says, I tell you this. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him. I'm sorry. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last days. And so we have a new principle here. What does this mean? The Lord's saying to the crowd, listen, you're not understanding it. You're not seeing it because the Father has not drawn you. And if the Father had drawn you, I I would raise you up in the last days, he says. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, at its basic fundamental level, it means that God the Father takes the initiative in salvation. Who's the one that draws men to himself? It is God. I, okay, let, let me illustrate that for you. How does God the Father draw men to himself? How does God the Father teach men? Well, later in this, in this story, when he asks the disciples, in, in, in other accounts he says, whom do you say that I am? Remember that story? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, he says, but my father. So we see a principle here, don't we? That God the father is the one who draws men to himself and teaches men. You know, if, if we sat down in our intellect and in our mind and tried to figure these things out and make heads or tail of it, it'd become foolishness, wouldn't it? I, I, you know, I, I think of a, of a debate between John Lennox and Richard Dawkins. It happened a couple of years ago, probably about 10 years ago. And, and at the, it was a wonderful debate. They went back and forth and Lennox did a phenomenal job of representing intelligent design. And in the end, in the closing arguments, Lennox brought the resurrection. And the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being both historical and factual. And Richard Dawkins gets his turn and he says, there you go, people. He can talk science with you, he says. He sounds intellectual. He sounds intelligent. <coughs> and then he talks about Jesus Christ and dying and raising from the dead. What foolishness, he says. What foolishness. To the world, it's foolishness. And so we read that the Father's the one who teaches. And the Lord, the Lord continues to tell him. He says, listen. The Father's the one who draws him. Look at verse 45. As it is written, Isaiah 54, 
It says, they shall all be taught by God. They shall be taught by God. It is God the Father who teaches men. And notice it says all. So who does the Father draw? He draws all. Now, listen, we're out of time. Did God the Father have no interest in these people? I, I, I would say the, the entire discourse speaks against it. Why would Jesus take the time? Why would Jesus take the time to, to, to discuss these matters with them? Why would Jesus take the time to reveal himself to them? You have seen me and yet you do not believe. The Father draws men, to, men, men and women to himself. The question is, will men and women turn? Will they turn to the living God? Not based upon what they understand. Not based upon their own works. Not based upon their own merit. But to come to God with empty hands and say, I am a sinner. I, 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 I have a debt I cannot pay. I could never enter the gates of heaven on my own merit. But I cast myself upon the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come. Come. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the help we have in it, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to see Christ edified a little more in our hearts, Lord. He, the Lord Jesus Christ is food. His blood is drink for those who have eternal life. He is what sustains us. He is what drives us. He is what is the focus of who we are, Lord. Help us to live in such a way. Let us not become like this crowd, forgetting who is behind the provision. Lord, help us to understand these things. Help us tonight as we discuss these, these wonderful truths. So much there to be said and discussed, Lord. Lord, I ask all these things in His precious name. Amen.